Hello everyone, and wherever you are in the big wide world, my name is Stephen Drew and I have a fantastic guest with me here today virtually, although I have met this guest in person as well, and we will do some in person events, I'm sure at some point. But let me tell you all about today. So I'm joined here by the fantastic Marsha Ramroop. Marsha is the founder and consultant at Unheard Voice Consultancies. But you might also have seen Marsha around and present in the architecture scene because Marsha has been quite important as director of inclusion at the RABA and part of that big change. So Marsha, I'm super excited to have you here. How are you? I'm okay. It's like, oh, thank you so much. I can't tell you how excited I am to speak to you uh, in this in this space, in your special architectural social space. And it's just, uh, I'm just so grateful. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to talk to you. And um, yeah, how am I feeling? I'm good. I'm really good. I'm excited. It's uh, a transition, a transitionary <laughs> period is always like a little bit scary, isn't it? And I've got this posted actually up on my wall. I just glanced up and I've seen it. I have post-its. I've post-its all over my office. And this one says, transformational change, counterintuitive decisions, let go of the past to embrace the next stage like a trapeze artist. Oh. And it very much feels like that. I'm letting go, I'm like I'm swinging through the air <laughs> from one uh, one sort of uh, swinging um, bridge to the to the next and just grabbing hold. But I just haven't quite grabbed hold of, <laughs> of, of the uh, of the trapeze just yet. So that's that's how I feel. Excited, scared, but got to have confidence in my own abilities. Yeah, that's a really long answer to your really simple <laughs> question. <laughs> There's a theme, a theme coming up. Long answers to simple questions. <laughs> I love it. Well, <laughs> it's um, it's quite interesting. So I've, I've been privy. I've been lucky because we actually met. I think we met one or two times at the RABA. And what's quite important, when I joined the RABA Council, one of the things I did was I joined your course oh well i joined well well, you taught me things that i i didn't really know and and you made me scratch my brain and think of maybe some biases that even i have which were deep in me and i didn't realize were there and ever since i've been itching to kind of thrash out this topic um and and i hope you don't mind me saying much because i maybe i was slightly naive on on these certain um parts which are really important now in terms of your job title of directory um directory director i should say direct it's one of them days isn't it one of them the brain's going you're a director (laughs) of inclusion Mm. and that can mean a lot to a lot of different people. But what was important is you taught me as well um, CQ, which I had no mm. idea what that was. But maybe what would be awesome is if people haven't seen you, Marsha, and they're not familiar with where you are currently setting up your new awesome business, and they, they maybe they haven't been aware of stuff going on. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what you've been doing in the construction sector and the RIBA when it mm. comes to inclusivity? And maybe that will inform people then why you were training me if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm happy to go right back to the beginning. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, there's long answers to simple questions. Um, I, um, I remember seeing the job ad actually for the director of inclusion role at the RIBA. Mm. And uh, I, you know, there was a light behind my eyes and I just thought, yeah, I've got to do that. And I'll tell you why I felt that I, I had to do that. My sort of reason for... My purpose in life, I really feel, is about creating an inclusive society. Right. And I, when I saw the role at the Reba, I, I really believe, and I still do, that working in architecture, built environment, the architectural space, if I could help 
influence the creation of inclusive spaces, mm -hmm. uh, then I could influence the creation of an inclusive society and ultimately an inclusive world. And mm -hmm. so it was a very much uh, going into this, this uh, environment it, with the idea that I can really help shape people's behaviours, thoughts, actions, deeds, um, so that we can together uh, create an inclusive world because an inclusive world is a brilliant one in which we can all thrive. And I, I always say as well that it's inclusion for all, otherwise it's not inclusion at all. Mm. And so, um, you know, until everyone's included, nobody is. And so uh, when I uh, got this role, I was really clear about what I would do and why I would do it. And my foundational sort of principle and area of expertise is CQ, cultural intelligence. Now, uh, cultural intelligence is, and this CQ, Q stands for quotient because it's a measure as right. well as a skill. So anyone who involves themselves with, uh, in CQ with me does like an assessment and mm. it gives you a series of numbers and the numbers are somewhat meaningless, but it does help you understand where you are in order to help pinpoint where you can be in terms of your inclusive behaviours. Because what cultural intelligence actually is, is uh, the behavioural principle, which is the capability capability to mm. work and relate effectively with people who are different from you. Mm. Now, um, it's been proven, so there's 20 years of academic peer-reviewed research behind this idea of CQ, right. uh, which is uh, the research question behind it, which has now been asked of a quarter of a million people across 170 countries. What's the difference between those that succeed in today's multicultural, globalised world and those that fail? What's the difference between success and failure when working and relating with those who are different from you? And uh, the answer keeps coming back that you need to have four capabilities. The first is CQ drive, motivation. Mm. Do you actually want to work and relate effectively with those who are different from you? Mm. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in detail in a bit. Uh, CQ knowledge, what do you know? What do you need to know? Not just about other lived experiences, but other values and norms and belief systems about leadership styles, languages mm. um but also um you know organizations so how the reba might work with architecture social for example different yeah. organizational cultures there so understanding that is part of cq knowledge and it's such a big piece that you can never know everything about everyone and everything about everything so i always say that's why it's so important not only to surround yourself with a diversity of lived experience but to listen to those voices very different from your own. And then the third piece of the puzzle, I always say is the most important, because if you're motivated and you have some knowledge and you go straight into action without stopping, to think about what you're thinking about, to check your assumptions, to plan your interactions, you'll act, you'll lead, you'll write policy that's tokenistic and stereotypical. Mm. So CQ strategy, the third piece of the puzzle, is also about being hugely self-aware as an individual and as an organisation. Um, and what are you bringing to the party, essentially? And navigating that if effectively to manage your bias. And then the fourth piece of the puzzle, CQ action. Um, people judge us on our behaviours. And so being mm. hugely adaptive is, is what CQ uh, action's about. So it's um, it's uh, what I call an introspective piece of work. Mm. It asks, what is it about me that needs to change so I can be more effective at working and relating with you? Mm. And uh, it's not looking at race over here and gender over there and disability over here. It's a, a, an overarching principle yeah. and, and, and an underpinning perspective to help shape how we manage uh, different lived experiences and diversity. So it was a, it, it very much is at the vanguard of um, EDI, diversity, inclusion, change. Mm. You don't often hear this conversation. When you hear people talk about diversity and inclusion, you often hear about race awareness. Yeah. Uh, if you're lucky, you'll hear about disability. Um, if you're really lucky, you'll hear about age. 
But mm. none of that helps when you have a set of policies. Everyone knows what a, po a good policy around gender pay gap looks like, for example, or inclusive recruitment. But if you don't have the behaviours mm. that are going to change and manage your bias, which is what is creating underrepresentation and discrimination in the first place, then how are you going to be successful? You have to start by looking in the mirror and saying, what is it about me? What mm. is it about my team? What is it about my practice? What is it about my organisation? What is it about my sector that needs to change so I can be more effective at working and relating with you and ultimately create those inclusive spaces that our society deserves? Mm. And so that's what... I was trying to teach you, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Well, that's why I was quite shocked because actually I was shocked and it kind of made sense because as you say, and I like that analogy that you use, it's kind of like the core bits underneath. So, because I went into it from, as you said, I because I do a lot of work and my background has been in recruitment. So, and I've worked in an architecture practice and uh, it's one of these are all important topics. As you say, it's kind of like the magic bit behind everything because there's no point saying we're, you know, inclusive if you don't really explore what that means. And as you said, CQ, I thought it was extremely eye-opening. So, for example, and I hope you don't mind me saying this because I'm allowed to talk about myself, hopefully, on the training, but um, I was amazed because in terms of the CQ, one of the questions and partly the, the tasks that you put forward, Marsh, is to talk about how competitive you think and I thought at first CQ yeah I'm going to be great because in my head I, you know I, I, I don't think I have any biases but then it was really interesting even the fact that I viewed myself as highly competitive and I saw absolutely no shame in that in one sense in certain parts and, and certain cultures that's not viewed as a positive thing so I thought you know, working hard, you know, it's entrenched in architecture, we're going to be working hard and all this stuff and, you know, that no shame in that and keeping going. Well, actually, kudos to you in that sense, but have you thought about it from other perspectives with other cultures maybe don't share those values? And it completely blew my mind that little bit because I think it's because I held it so precious to me as like a pride. And then when you, when suddenly that notion of something which I put so much pride in, in, might not be viewed the same it really challenged one of my core beliefs so i i have taken that away from the training and i always remember that bit but is that a common thing then you see marshall when people go into cq that it actually challenges people in different ways that they haven't thought before Absolutely, because the nature of CQ, um, I always say the language of CQ is not confrontational, mm. but the level of introspection required can be uncomfortable. Yeah. And essentially is about holding up a mirror to yourself. No one wants to believe that there's something about themselves that needs to change. Yeah. Um, and uh, actually, this isn't about changing yourself. Yeah. It's about understanding who you are and mm. that actually other people are different and that the way that you think and behave and act is not, you know, the be all and end all. There are other ways of doing things. Yeah. So um, the analogy I like to use, I like to pick up a coin um, and I tend to have a 10p coin on my desk purely for this purpose is to say, you know, when you when you look at a, at a coin sort of face down, it's a circle. But if you look at it from the side, it's a line. Right. And actually, if you um, if you realise that sometimes you're having a discussion with someone and you think that they're right and you're wrong or vice versa, you're you're right and they're wrong. Mm. Uh, but actually, you're both looking at the same thing. It's just one of you seeing circle and the other one is seeing line. And if you just move just slightly, then you'll both see that you're looking at the same thing just from different perspectives. And that if you just start to make that shift, you have the potential to build a bridge and come to a, a place of collaboration and understanding, if even if you can't reach acceptance, that actually 
we're just different. That is all that it is. And this isn't necessarily about right and wrong. So mm. your competitive nature is not, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just understanding that some people just don't approach things yeah. in that way. Yeah, and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. It's just different. And they and other people just achieve results in a different way. And so, um, yeah, those light bulb moments, I love them. I love them because it's an understanding that actually whatever you believe to be true, mm. uh, coming to the place where you understand that the opposite may also be true is just that's the key learning that helps us to be more effective at working and relating with those who are different from us. And that difference isn't just about, you know, um, skin colour and it isn't just about nationality and it isn't just about faith. It is just about any kind of difference. So, you know, mm. I talked about languages earlier and the difference in languages. That That's the language of architecture compared with the language of, um, you know, graphic design even. Mm. Or it, so it's just understanding that we actually need to be humble in mm. the way that we approach understanding others, uh, not from a place of um, ego and uh, acknowledging and this is the hardest thing as well i think this is all to do with you know our society and the way you know our society is ideologized that we kind of have to step back from self and um realize that we can make mistakes and how we manage those mistakes is is just all part of the cq piece and moving forward effectively so yeah, if people reach those like bold moments, I'm delighted. Uh, that makes complete sense. Now, there's probably a lot of listeners, and this would be me a year ago, where initially this idea of CQ, you might feel a bit of resistance, like, oh gosh, it's another thing we need to do or, or what have you. And, and I think you, it's interesting you mentioned there's a certain uncomfortableness you have to push back but i can imagine there's lots of massive tangible benefits of, of work of get a business or an architecture business in particular um because we're in the construction industry once you start embracing cq and addressing things um it, it would be really interesting master if you, without any specific details of business have you seen uh, once people kind of get into the nitty-gritty of what cq is then that actually helps the business overcome a problem that maybe they've had for years but they haven't addressed or known how i mean it'd be really good if you can illustrate what cq is in the practical sense in a business mm. <clears throat> so i'm not an expert in architecture I'm not an expert in in anything other than really in broadcasting. I hope I hope I'm a broadcasting expert after 30 years in the business as well. Um, and what CQ is, mm. it's a skill to mm. help you do your job better. Right. So if, for example, you consider that like we have reports going back decades now, yeah. decades saying that if you are um, embracing of diversity and where diversity is simply the mix of visible and invisible difference mm. and you have a culture of inclusion, then your people, your staff, your organisation will be hugely engaged yeah. and the outcomes from that are eight times more innovative, mm. six times um, better business outcomes. Um, you, uh, it, financial um, it profits are, you know, threefold, fourfold. Yeah. Um, so all the, all the, all the evidence is there that you, I, I don't, I, 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 but it takes time to get there. What I would say is that what CQ helps you do is break down the barriers that create discrimination and underrepresentation in the first place, which are preventing you from having a truly diverse workforce, yeah. a truly um, included workforce where they're retained and progressed and, uh, you know, feel 
happy and included yeah. in, in the in the business. Um, there's a, a huge element of inclusion in terms of the way you create your products and services in architecture in the built environment as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, having the right lens to, to put on that work, as well as how you're inclusive and your behaviours being um, inclusive and how you engage your clients and other ex external stakeholders like councils or other procurement partners mm. so um you have to apply that lens like i say i, I literally sometimes pick up these <laughs> invisible goggles and I, I place them over the eyes and say put on your cq lens to do your job but it is about being thoughtful because I've got so many statistics I can throw at you, Stephen. But mm. uh, one, the one I'm going to use right now is um, we have so this guy, Professor Timothy Wilson, he wrote a book called Stranger to Ourselves, Discovering the Adaptive Unconscious. Right. And he was the first person to pull together various um, studies, psycho psychological studies that showed that we have 11 million pieces of information that our brain is processing at any given moment. And the conscious capacity to process just 40. So at any given moment, if you have all uh, access to all five senses, your brain is unconsciously processing 10,999,960 bits of information of which you're completely unaware. Mm. So that means that you have to shortcut information. You have to process information really quickly. And so that's the root of bias. Now, some biases are, are useful mm. and are helpful and they're there to protect us and keep us safe. And mm. others, really not helpful at all, <laughs> really create issues for us. Yeah. And so um, being able to slow down and uh, navigate that is what CQ helps us to do. It helps us to create procedural changes to mitigate the impact of hidden bias. And when hidden bit bias is... Um, you know, creating an environment where your practice, your firm, your organisation has underrepresentation, uh, has has uh, discriminatory outcomes, um, then you need something to help you slow down and do things differently, and that's mm. what the CQ framework is proven to help do. Mm. Now, in terms of outcomes, I've got I've got pages and pages and pages of feedback from people who and it comes down to individuals saying, I'm going to behave differently yeah. and I've seen the benefit to the business of doing so. Um, and it's just about it. And it varies that feedback in terms of, you know, is somebody working in communications? Is someone working in member services? Is is someone working in design? Is, you know, and, and lots of different people have had the same experience of where they have taken the time to slow down and think, who's not in the room? What voice do I need to be listening to? Yeah. How do I listen to that voice effectively? And how do I behave differently? Um, it's, it's all part of that that piece and that's what you want when you want to be effective inclusive um, architects and, and uh, practitioners in the built environment mm. well said well said i think that the architecture is notoriously hard to study it's a difficult profession there's lots of stuff going on and um, i always find it interesting marsha that you know it takes seven years to qualify you learn about the buildings you learn about how to do all these situations and it's quite understandable for any businesses out there when you've been focusing on that for a while there's so many facets going on running an, an, an office running a practice running getting the legal frameworks right so you, the, as you know as we know in the RV and making sure that the public indemnity insurance is there and there's there's so much of this going on but what I find really important if I put my recruitment hat on is that I hear every day reasons why people are moving away from companies as well as why people want to stay and actually the kind of the themes of what you're talking about and the the tangible benefits which comes from cq and understanding how cq feeds into um equality inclusivity as you said um accessibility is is really interesting because actually 
as you, you're right, in a business sense, if you people feel they are really valued where they work, they're excited to come to work and and they, they, they don't encounter uh, any biases, then naturally they're going to stay longer, which in terms so in terms of business output makes a lot of sense. You're retaining your staff and, and people's work are optimum because they enjoy where they work. There's one... Um, uh, there's one st quick story I have where, because I'm involved with the Architects Benevolent Society, and I was lucky where um, a director of, uh, I think it was, it wasn't even called CQ or inclusion, it was a director of happiness, a lady at, at Stride Tregland, um, mm. she joined because, like yourself, she's really talented and, and thought, right, where can I make a difference? And construction and architecture is notoriously one of the ones a bit behind, right? That's what her impression was doing some studies. So she came to this conclusion and she said, I want to work at Stride Tregland. If you, if you let me there, I'm going to do all this stuff. I want to change these certain things. And initially, this director, um, she found a bit of resistance um, you know, because it was uncomfortable. You know, mm -hmm. someone coming in saying, you need to change this and do that. Especially if the business has been doing certain things, Marshall, for 10, 20 years. They're going to be like, well, what are you want about? We've been doing this for ages. And anyways, long story short, over time, she implemented procedures. She talked to people how they feel, started understanding people, do really learning about their work, getting people involved, mixing teams up, being slightly more flexible, all these things. And I forget there's like a million different facets being embracing different aspects of everything. And in the, in the end, um, what was interesting is that there was much less sick days in the mm. in, in the team people enjoyed coming to work they stayed on average a year longer or two years than the the retention rate so the retention rate is the average of how the length of employment and in the end once they got past the resistance that's why one of strike strike tragline is one of the best employers because and people queue to work there and uh, you can call it happiness, but in essence, uh, director of happiness, I see there's a lot of parallels with what yeah. you did. So getting past that uncomfortableness, um, tangible outcomes which help the business, but more, what's cooler than everything, this is what we kind of need to push architecture and construction up, I think, Marsha. You know, get that, that final bit. It's not, as you said, it's not just about the, the gender pay gap. It's about why we've had that there and what are we doing to um, move things on and how are we looking at really removing those biases, understanding why. It's not like just putting an extra grand and moving on. It's about looking deep into the fabric of the company, right, and engineering those things. So I digress out of excitement and I'll put my bell there to stop me talking. But I think... It's so needed. I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on my little strike tregline story. Amazing, amazing. And, and definitely, um, you know, there's a sense that, you know, given the, the amount of, you know, biases that we that we have, we, yeah. it, the fact that we can get rid of them is, is probably not, not so likely. Mm. But it's about being able to slow down and listen to when we've had an, a certain impact, remembering that intention isn't always the same as impact. So if someone comes to you and gives you the feedback that the way you behaved, uh, the impact on me was whatever it was, we need to listen and learn and acknowledge, <clears throat> listen and learn, acknowledge and reflect and move forward differently. Mm. And, uh, and, and just uh, re recognizing that even though our intention wasn't to do harm, it was harmful and therefore we need to, to look differently. Mm. Um, I think there's, there are a number of, of things that, you know, it sounds brilliant and I, I think it's excellent. The, the outcomes, um, Let's try Treadlown and it sounds exactly the kind of thing that so many places need to do. I always say that in order to be successful um, at implementing EDI efforts, you have to what I call stream your EDI. So that's uh, S-T-R-E-A-M, support, time, resource, effort, agency and money. Mm. Um, if you want to actually be successful at implementing your EDI efforts. So uh, you know, if you're going to bring in CQ, uh, this 
there's more there's some prerequisites that need to be there so when, when I talk about support that's about leadership so um, again another quote I'm one for a quote Stephen, I really am. <laughs> but a quote that I like to use is from uh, Gruner and Whitaker. They have a book called uh, School Culture Rewired from 2015. And they say the culture of any organisation can be shaped by the worst behaviours leaders are willing to tolerate. Correct. Yeah. And I think mm -hmm. if you believe that, like, like I do, I think you must also conversely believe that the culture of any organisation can be shaped by the best behaviours leaders are willing to demonstrate. Oh. And so when I talk about support, I mean about leadership being demonstrative and, and vocal about EDI in thought, behaviour and practice. And that's about recognising diversity and valuing people intrinsically, about governing effectively and exemplifying and promoting a leadership commitment to EDI, about acting accountably, about working inclusively, communicating inclusively, advocating and championing EDI, you know, actively influencing and promoting um, organizational practices and so on so that's the support piece but time is about you know uh, people being given the opportunity to change yeah. and uh, an EDI team expertise um, being able to manage uh, being able to uh, reflect and support comprehensively and then resource the R stream facilities being made available to allow for the full implementation of inclusive changes. Um, effort is about having that proper expertise and right. enough people to to manage workload effectively. And if, if you don't have, like if you're a small practice and you don't have an HR team, that's about, you know, investing in bringing in the right expertise as well. Right. And agency is about that, you know, senior EDI colleague having the unmediated ear of the CEO and full influencing access across executive board, decision making leaders, whoever they might be. And if that's a small firm, again, just getting that expertise and not thinking it's everybody else's job. Mm -hmm. It really is your own. And then money. Um, budget expectations met, sustained EDR work growing and, and developing. And I really feel when there are a lot of very small firms, sole practitioners and so on, there's a real opportunity, you know, you know, through networks like your own, Stephen, for people to come together and okay. to work together to to get the um, the. Uh, expertise that you need uh, as a group um, it could be one of those those opportunities and I think without this without these pre prerequisites an organization won't be successful um, uh, and you know underrepresented groups and those who've been relying on you they'll feel frustrated despondent to get a proper return you need proper investment is, mm. is the bottom line and and you can bring in that expertise and and really believe uh, it's the way forward but also being really conscious about implementing those procedural changes to to create uh, the changes that you want to see in the work and that you're doing and i think that's a, that's a that's kind of the, the thought process, I suppose, that underpinned um, your your success story there is that there was a willingness to support, to give people the time to resource it, to put in the effort. Yeah. Uh, people felt they had the agency. Uh, there was money involved uh, in the investment. And people really understood why they were being asked to make the change and leadership really bought into it and they demonstrated those behaviours. And I can't tell you what a difference that makes. Yeah, I can imagine. It's um, you, you hit upon so many interesting and, and useful nuggets there. And I, I think that it's, it's, it's really reassuring to hear as well, Marsha, that as smaller architecture practices as sole practitioners, it's actually... It's, I think, with, especially with CQ, it's quite an opportunity to get it right at the start and uh, and and I think it's part of it's about being informed, isn't it? And I, what I wanted to ask, because um, obviously it's great that you've got your um, your own consultancy, you know, and people can reach out to you and hear your advice, and you can kind of get 
your teeth into a company but if someone's on the start of their journey and they listen to a lot of the stuff that we're saying now in terms of dipping your toes into it and getting feeling more familiar to get past the uncomfortableness do you have any particular advice um for people well thankfully not so long ago towards the end of last year i used my 30 years of broadcasting um uh expertise uh, to run a radio station oh uh, yeah i was quite impressed by that actually <laughs> thanks thanks so much um and if you really want to sort of tip your dip your toe in yeah and to get some understanding of of what it is uh that needs to be done so i, I talked to earlier about you know what is cq mm. um i spoke a little bit about bias and um uh, what Reba Radio provides you with, and that's a resource that's freely available in architecture.com. Great. Um, uh, you can go on there and you can, there's an hour long chat with a guy called Dr. David Livermore. He's the uh, founder of the CQ Center um, and one of the key brains behind the CQ tool. Uh, so he, uh, you know, oh, literally wow. the best person in the world to speak to oh, about wow. CQ. I mean, of course, apart from me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally wrote the book on CQ. And then uh, Dr. Pragya Agarwal, who, again, literally wrote the book on unconscious bias called Sway. Um, and she talked about unconscious bias. So those things that we talked about there about um, Timothy Wilson, 11 million pieces of information. Uh, she talks about, you know, why it's important to understand bias. And then the rest of the um, output is about working through drive, knowledge, strategy and action. Right. And it's very much about architecture in the built environment. Oh, cool. So you can go in there and there are 29 episodes of good, useful. There's a thing on inclusive recruitment. There's a thing about architecture education. There's a thing about, um, you know, supporting the underrepresented. There's, uh, you know, a thing on there about women, gender pay gap, uh, about... Um, uh, you know, reproductive uh, health, um, menopause. Mm. It's a rich, rich, rich content. And uh, you can go on there and you can dip your toe and you can get some understanding of of what is it that you need to be thinking about so that you can work effectively uh, and inclusively um, mm. as practitioners in the built environment. And that, you know, that is... I'm so proud of the team who who helped me put that together and to be able to to leave that um as a legacy piece uh with Reba is is been a true highlight of my career so far. That was amazing and I love the fact that you you turned the the, the bookshop into a, a studio. BBC studio. Very, very <laughs> cool. It quite worked quite well, actually. And I've I've dipped in and out, but actually I've not heard the interview you mentioned with um, the doctor. So I will definitely check that out. I tell you, when you, when you were talking, it's really interesting because obviously we've spoken about it, the benefits that can come from it from a business sense. And of course, if there are any... Um, company owners whether you're small or large or directors or if you're it, it helps it would, it would be awesome for you to go on your journey but having said that there's a lot of um, listeners i'm aware of on this podcast who maybe are students or are architects or you know just going up through the through the ranks and kicking ass in their careers but um i would imagine marcia as well that it's not just the business owners which can help change CQ within um, an office setting or anything. Um, I was wondering, would you have any advice for um, anyone on how to bring it up? So maybe they'd say, I've listened to this podcast and I really think we should look at CQ in the team. Would, would you equally say that they should check out um, uh, the Reba radio that you did, which was awesome? Or is there any techniques for people who are not company owners to start? getting this topic talked about in the office yeah um how do you get it talked about i mean sometimes it's an incident mm. that um that happens and it yeah. really pulls into sharp focus 
how we need to do things differently. And and if there's one example of that that can't be denied, and that, that's the murder of George Floyd. Yeah. And um, I know that happened over in the States, and obviously they have a big issue, but it's not unique to the States. We have mm. so many issues uh, around representation that needs to be dealt with so that we can we can uh, be more effective in our lives in mm. our world and in terms of bringing it up sometimes it's something that's happened to you sometimes it's something we witness and we need to sort of explore why did that happen in the first place yeah correct and uh, if we can uh, really peel back the layers of that question why did that discrimination happen why do mm. we have underrepresentation? why does our leadership look the way it does whether it's in our own organization or within the profession yeah why why mm. and really really ask really ask that question it's sometimes opening up that conversation realize just looking at race over here and gender over there is not going to help us looking at yeah. the gender pay gap and inclusive recruitment is not going to help us mm. we need to look at ourselves and say, what is it about me? What is it about us that needs to change so we can do this differently? Yeah. Now, again, another quote for you. Um, Einstein, I like to use this one because it's so fundamental to everything that I do. He says, you can't solve problems with the same level of consciousness that created them in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so this isn't even, I always say, this isn't even about having a blank sheet of paper. It's about not even using paper. It's about completely reframing. How do we tackle this issue? How do we tackle the issues of discrimination and underrepresentation? Mm. And so I, what CQ is, it's a completely different, it's a cognitive evolution. It's about thinking about things in a completely different way so we can get to a solution, a useful one. And CQ is proven, it's absolutely proven that if you are high in CQ capabilities, you act inclusively. And if a bunch of you are working together on a project or in a team, then you will approach that project mm. inclusively. And if your organisation is full of people who are practising CQ, you will be an inclusive organisation, bottom line. All the research for the last 20 years points to that. So why wouldn't you want a piece of it? Yeah, well said. Well said. I think uh, I think it's important and it's timely right now because I think, especially from when I entered architecture, which was 2009, Marsha, gay man myself, I didn't feel comfortable, you know, coming out and all these certain things at the time. Whereas I do think that things have moved on and, and they're, going in the right direction there's still a lot of work to do though isn't it it can always be better there's always stuff to do and i think that now 2022 as you said it's a good time and actually when you talk about george floyd you're right it's if anyone thinks oh that's a bit far away from what we do well stephen lawrence trust stephen lawrence wanted to be an architect look what happened to him bless him and now i think they were called blueprint for all but the Stephen Lawrence Trust, I believe it was before. Amazing stuff, but that's someone that wanted to do architecture and be an architect, and can you imagine all the work that's come? So it, these things are really important. It's a shame, as you say sometimes, we're all guilty of it, of reacting once things have happened. Well, then, I mean, a pretty bad quote. Uh, a bad quote would be, a stitch in time saves nine, as my mum says. And I think we all got to start looking at bringing these in beforehand um, rather than reacting. There's nothing worse, Marsha, especially in recruitment, of your best employee leaving because suddenly something's popped up and it doesn't fit in with certain viewpoints that they have, which are um, which were not taken accounted for. That's um, a, an economical drawback. It's a skill drawback because that skill set's walking out, but also it's a culture problem in the office because if that person was really admired, liked, people looked up to them, so many facets, 
you've created a problem. And in my experience, it's quite hard when the resignation letter comes, Marsha, the people change their minds. It's usually too little, too late. And what I've seen then as well is it's kind of a bit of a, it's usually an unlikely tactic um, that companies will, will can change that quickly. I've seen it before sometimes when people hand in their resignation and, and companies go, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And in three months, if the person says that they're going to stay, in three months, they usually leave because it's, most companies in those three months, they're unre unlikely to do those changes. So CQ and, and all this stuff, when we talk about EDI, it's not, you can't just put up a new um, page on the website and go, we're inclusive. It's like deeply, it's like, what does inclusivity means? And these values that, go up to the website at the end, they need to be living and breathing a real, because otherwise someone will go on Glassdoor going, this place, da 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 da, and, and you don't want to be that company. And when that reviews on Glassdoor, it's kind of too late, isn't it, Marsha? So we should, everyone should, I think, start dipping their toes in it and, and, and just little by little. I think it's unrealistic to say things should change in overnight, right? But you can do little bits at a time that cumulatively over a year or two make a big difference. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, you know, I always say there are no quick fixes. There oh. are no magic wands. There are yeah. no silver bullets. There's only conscious deliberate action and actually yeah. i like to liken becoming inclusion fit to becoming physically fit right. so if for example you can you you look at your your statistics your data and it shows you that you are flabby <laughs> you are not inclusion fit at all and you decide to start on that journey from the couch to 5k yeah. um, you need to go through that process of drive knowledge strategy and action do you want to do you want to get up off that couch and, and become fitter? And once you've motivated yourself to become become fitter, what do you need to know? You know, what, what are the, the different steps I need to take? Um, and, uh, and and that's the next step. The next thing you have to plan. OK, I'm going to do some crunches or I'll try I'll try one sit up today and I'll try yeah. two tomorrow. And you yeah. start to build and you start to build and then you actually have to do it. You actually have to get up and go and, you know, Monday, do the crunches and Tuesday, do a 2K walk and and then start to build. But just because you did a couple of crunches doesn't mean that you're suddenly going to be ready for that 5K. Yeah. Like it's not. It, that's not the way it works it takes time to build up and like becoming physically fit you have to keep it up because as soon mm. as you stop you regress you regress and so you have to keep up with the actions the conscious deliberate choice to go out and it becomes it becomes easier because it becomes more of a habit but it's always conscious i've got to get up this morning go to the gym or i have to get up and do a run or i'm i'm not gonna you know sit and binge watch another five episodes i'll you know do my exercise whatever it might be and so it's 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 very similar in in your ability to get to a level of fitness that once you got to the 5k the next stage get better 10k next stage you know half marathon and it's the same to reach that elite level you need to put in the effort but the more effort you put in the better the results no doubt mm, well said i think um, i think that's a really good point to to kind of um get people infused and and you're right it's an ongoing thing and you're gonna like everything else you might have a little you know drawback or things may either gonna get a bit of resistance it's not gonna work out perfectly at first but you have to keep on going what i was gonna say now Marsha, and so uh Everyone can find you on the Unheard Voice Consultancy, which is www.unheardvoice.co.uk. So everyone can reach out to you there and you're also on LinkedIn. But maybe, LinkedIn, absolutely. Yeah, if I've got you for two to three more minutes, mm. what would be cool is you can flip the script because I always find it that it's, always, it's, a, it's a one way thing. Sometimes it can feel podcast interviews, but I like to say, 
if there's any questions that you'd like to ask me um, and I and I haven't seen these questions we haven't prepared them but is there anything that comes to mind that you'd like to ask me about myself the architecture social or yeah. my thoughts on the architecture industry or recruitment Absolutely. So you and I did uh, that session together and mm. you've already mentioned um, that sort of light bulb moment you had about competitiveness collaboration. I'd really like to know how are you using those initial sort of CQ um, moments that we had together in your real life? Ah, good. OK, so in a business sense, um, that I think the direct example was from that is I didn't. I just stopped t uh, thinking about how hard I've worked and the hours I've done and all this stuff. I stopped talking about that. And it's quite a common theme, actually, in the architecture industry of it's, it's not, it's not, it, it should, we shouldn't be proud of doing all nighters. You know, it's like I, I used to do all nighters in, in architecture, studying architecture, and people would go around the studios, marshal the student studios going, I've been up for two days, like a badge of honor. And it's like, who are we doing this for? What are we doing this for? And that kind of kill yourself to get the building done, I think is a bit toxic. And what's interesting, I would say that, but then in my professional work, especially setting up the architecture social, maybe as a point of pride in the amount of time it would take, I would go around people saying, oh, it's long hours, you know, I've done it. And I kind of corrected that because it didn't, when I reflected on it, I didn't, it didn't sit comfortable for me. So it was like, well, it shouldn't be a positive that um, it, setting up businesses and all this stuff and how stressful they are and, you know, almost killing yourself in the process is a good thing. And, and you know, and especially, I mean, the problem with me is that when I invest in something, is that I, it's actually sometimes at the detriment of things like my health. So I was just like trying to balance things in myself and realizing that maybe this point of pride that they originally had, Marsha, is it's there's there's something good about being dedicated and and. and dealing with goals, but it shouldn't be at the detriment of almost killing myself. I had a friend that said that to me. He's like, yeah, you're really impressive. A close friend, he's like, it's impressive all this stuff that you've done, but you almost kill yourself doing it. And I'm like, yeah, what was all that about? So that's the biggest one on deep introspection. That's the one that comes to mind. I think I saw a lot of um, little bits, but that's the one that really hit home and really challenged me because I was uncomfortable with it. Because so I'd be like, oh, you know, oh, well, you know, so what? You have to suffer a bit to get these things done. And it, that was just like a weird um, thing that I made up to justify my behaviors. So and then I'm very careful about talking about it with others. Almost to the opposite now when people say, um, are you going to set up a business or do all this stuff? And I'm like, don't do what I do. Don't do it. <laughs> I'm like, are you sure? And so I, 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 go, I go the other way now and I play with it and I go, there is more to life than this, um, which it challenges my own beliefs. So I hope, I hope that made, that's the biggest one that took, I took away from it, Marsha, you know? And did you also then do the coaching element um, as well with, Coach M, did you? I do did. I did. Yeah, oh, okay. I feel really like a like a naughty boy life. I did it, and then I started doing the diminish. I I did it, and then what I felt, and oh, I'm gonna practice. I'm gonna be really honest. Is that I dropped off a bit, and okay. then when I started dropping off, it was exactly like you said. I was really infused. I did it and then I, I did one or two coach M's and then I got busy. I trailed off and my fight preparing for my 5K, I, I started wobbling going oh, backwards. No. Well, I'll explain a little bit what coach M is as well. Yeah. Because um, one of the things is you're four times more likely to succeed with mm. um, implementing any learning if you have support to do so. Yeah. And so uh, what I bring in when I um, when I do the CQ work is that coaching support. And mm. in order to scale it, 
um, uh, I've got this amazing partner called Lever Learning who um, have this unique tool called Coach M where you end up having a coaching conversation with yourself yeah. and it helps you um, sustain and maintain and deliver on your goals if you yeah. uh, attend your coaching session, Stephen. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, and, and, and actually, again, I suppose it comes back to that physical fitness thing if you're working with your coach. Mm. Um, they, they help you to the next level. Mm. So uh, that's that's kind of what the the coaching piece is about. What I brought in, uh, yeah. uh, and we'll we'll do with with um, uh, partners uh, who who want to to use me on her voice. It, it's, but yeah, Stephen, it was it was helping up until the point you lost your yeah. Momentum. Well, it's a, it's accountability, and I have to be accountable. That it, as you said, it's a conversation with yourself. And if there was if the facilities were there, I did it. And when I did it, I felt infused because what was clever about coaching, it reminds me of what you said before. So it's like, do you remember, Steve, when you said you were going to do this? How have you got on? And then it was like, oh, yeah, I did say that. And you're right. And it reminds you of your quest. So when I did that and I engaged with it again, it was good. And I think, like everything, you're right. Then when I. I got distracted. I got busy. I did that thing. You know, we all make excuses. And then I stopped having that conversation with myself. And then I didn't hold myself accountable. And then you kind of forget. And I think that um, that's a shame. And I, I, yeah, I, I kind of... Um, <laughs> Yeah, but it's 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 true though, isn't it? It's where I, where I laugh is because I tell people on CVs and portfolios and your search you have to hold yourself accountable because if you don't if you, if you don't do the hard work you do, you don't get something out of it. And um, I always find it interesting, Marsha. It was like I guess it's like the interesting thing about being human. You can say one thing, and when it comes to yourself, it can be different. Or I always say. It's um, people sometimes when they talk to me about CVs and portfolios, they get really embarrassed. And I go, no, don't ever get embarrassed because you've got so much going on. And actually, my role is to look at it with these binoculars, whereas you're you're an architectural professional. You're not thinking about looking for jobs all the time. So it's very easy for me to give all these tips and these certain things. And I and I guess where I'm going with this is while I can be an expert in that. The reality is, I I I, do, I have the the human the humanism in, in the beautiful thing and the weird and wonderful thing, and, and it all comes out where in that world and where CQ is new and stuff, it really does ha help to have someone help you with it. But also, you have you have to hold yourself accountable. So I do think that's why if anyone's kind of thinking about going into CQ, especially a company, it really helps to have someone who is informed in it like yourself, because then you can kind of catch people with the coach and but more importantly you actually as well Marsha from regressing because when all the architecture you know deadlines come in or the project doesn't quite work it's really easy to kind of you forget the thing because you're like I do care about CQ but the problem is Marsha I got a deadline I got this and that and then it's like breathe just spend time in it remember and I and I think that's 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 a the benefit of having a coach um but also the coach can only coach you, but they, you have to be the athlete in it. You have to put a bit of an output. So yeah, full disclosure, it was good when I did it. And then I, 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 um, I, I kind of fizzled off. F, great F from me. <laughs> Well, good. Uh, well, don't worry. I think um, you know. Try to try to regain that momentum, and uh, yeah. hopefully, you'll succeed. Well, it's never too late to do that, though, isn't it? I think that, um, and I have to remind myself this because sometimes the other thing you do is you go, "Oh, do you know what? Things have been so busy, and I haven't done it for a while. Ah, oh, just whatever," and you put it off, Marsha. But actually, it should be that people can engage again at any point. Oh, did you get did you get anything good from Amazon there or the post what was well, that? Actually, I've just reached I've just reached for the book that I mentioned to you earlier, Timothy oh. Wilson, Stranger to Ourselves: Discovering the Adaptive Unconscious. And if I if I may change 
just take this Please. moment to, to end um, with with uh, some quote uh, from from his book, because, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, taking personal responsibility and definitely holding up a mirror to ourselves and the mm. introspective piece of work and and personal accountability. Um, this is this is where he, he says, look, we can't necessarily trust ourselves to know ourselves. And mm. therefore, what we have to do in order to um, be better at inclusivity is to actually do inclusive things it for want of a better other phrase fake it till you make till you make it does mm. have some kind of um resonance here what he talks about is instead rather than fake it till you make it the do good to be good principle ah, like and that. he says the do good be good principle is one of the most important lessons psychology has to offer if you don't like something about yourself or are feeling down, it can be helpful to alter your behaviour in a more positive way. To fashion a satisfying functional self-narrative, however, and to establish a desirable pattern of habitual and non-conscious responses, the best advice is to practice, practice, practice. Little steps can lead to big changes, however, and all of us have the ability to act more like the person we want to be. Perfect. Thank you so much, Marsha. I think that's the perfect note to end on. I'm going to repeat it again. People can get in touch with you on LinkedIn. That's Marsha Renroop. Um, You have your website of your awesome business, which is Uncured Voice. The Unheard Voice Consultancy, which is great. And it's www.unheardvoice.co.uk. Thank you, Marsha. I really appreciate you being here. I didn't put, I forgot to put my soundboard on, but I'm going to do a real round of applause. Uh, Thank I will, you. I will end the podcast now. If you just stay in the studio for one second, uh, I'd appreciate that. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, take care. Bye-bye.